Thank you, Kendra, for that ministry of music. Today, we're going to complete our studies of the book of Jude. We have been emphasizing that the book of Jude focuses upon the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It encourages us as believers to contend for the truth of the gospel. In verse 3 of Jude, it writes, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. That there is one gospel for all time, for all people. And we need to earnestly contend for that faith. Why? Well, the reason for the exhortation is due to the fact that there will be false teachers who will come in and ultimately reject the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. Verse 4. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. These are people who deny the authority of Jesus Christ in their lives in a practical way. So the theme this morning is that as Christians, rather than to reject Christ's authority, we rejoice in Christ's authority over us. There is quite a contrast that is to exist between the believer and the non-believer. The non-believer rejects the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. And the believer actually rejoices in and gives praise to God for the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that is exercised in our lives. One of the reasons we need to contend for the faith and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ is because God is greatly dishonored when Jesus Christ is not seen to be the king that he is. His reign in our lives is to be welcomed. Today, we note that God's glory in saving us is to be manifested through the accomplishment of the Lord Jesus Christ in our response of thanksgiving and submission. Our text this morning is the doxology that concludes Jude with verses 24 and 25. And in this doxology... There are three manifestations of God's power that is directed towards us that results in glory to his name. Three manifestations of God's power that is directed towards us that results in glory to his name. First, God has the power to keep us from spiritual ruin. God has the power to keep us from spiritual ruin. Verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, or as the NIV and King James translates it, keep you from falling. In the book of Jude, there are numerous examples of people who have fallen and whose spiritual lives have ended in ruin. Let's rehearse some of them this morning. The first 
is given to us in the Israelites who came out of Egypt. Verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Jude mentions the angels who left their first estate. Verse 6. And the angels which have not kept their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. And we refer to them as the fallen angels. Jude next mentions the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 7. And then he cites three individuals as examples of those that have come to ruin. Verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. For they, for pay, they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So we find out that it is wise to look around us and see the dangers that encompass us. It is wise to look inward and see the weaknesses of our own souls and the ease which we yield to sin. But every personal look at weakness ought to end up in a look at the power and grace of God. And we find out that he is able to keep us from falling. The warnings that are given to us in the book of Jude must be kept in mind in conjunction with the grace of God and the power of God that keeps us from falling. Look at verse uh, 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling. The word kept is an important word in the book of Jude. In verse 1, we are found to be kept for Christ's sake. Notice verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to those who are the called, loving God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. We find out in verse 21 that we are to keep ourselves in fellowship with God. And we looked at that verse two weeks ago. Keep yourselves in the love of God. However, we always must keep in mind that it is God who keeps us from complete and final ruin in the day of judgment. He is able to keep us from falling. He is able to keep us from ruin, from destruction. He is able to save us. And perhaps one of the great Old Testament Psalms that depict the keeping nature of God and his ability to cause us to stand is found in Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes to the mountains. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will not slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. Keep. Four times in Psalm 121. He is the keeper of your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. God is able to keep us 
from falling. Secondly, the second manifestation of God's power that is directed towards us is the power to cause us to triumph in the time of his judgment. What was said negatively is now said positively. Before it was he's able to keep us from stumbling or falling, now it is that he's able to cause us to stand. Look at verse 24. Now to him was able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory. To stand in the presence of his glory. This presence of his glory is in the time of his revelation. In the time in which he has been revealed as the King of Kings and as the Lord of Lords. It's the time of his judgment. And thus he is able to cause us to stand or endure or pass his judgment. Revelation chapter 6 asks this question. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. God's judgment is coming. And as they see God's judgment coming, they want to hide in the rocks. They want to fall in the crevices. They want to be hid from the presence of his glory. For they say to this question, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Who is able to stand up, to endure, to pass this great judgment of God? Answer, those who place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He enables us to stand, to triumph, to be in victory in the time of his judgment. Another great Old Testament psalm in keeping with this is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bring forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. The ungodly will not stand in the judgment. They will not endure. They will not triumph. They will not be victorious. They are going to be brought low. They are going to be humbled. And they are going to be cast out in the time of judgment. But we who know the Lord, we stand. We stand. For Psalm 1, verse 6, The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Therefore, we rejoice because he gives us the ability to stand. And not only that, but the third manifestation of God's power that is directed towards us is that he is able to cause us to pass his judgment without stain, resulting in great joy. At the end of verse 24, not only do you stand in his presence, 
of his glory. But you do so blameless and with great joy. To be blameless is to be without spot, without stain, without tarnish. That there is going to be no fault found with us in the great judgment of God. Because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what so many would look forward to in great fear, as we read in the book of Revelation, let the rocks fall on us. As people desperately want to escape the judgment of God, we look forward to with a time of great joy, a time of expectation, a time of delight. First Peter says this, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We look forward to that time in which we're going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And it will be because of the grace of God. He is able to cause us to stand blameless, with no fault, and experiencing great joy. Great joy. There are a lot of people that fear taking tests. They dread that exam. But when they come back having had a perfect score on their college SATs, all of a sudden, there's great joy. For the child of God, Judgment is not a time to fear. Judgment is actually a time to look forward to. Because we're going to be exonerated. Not because of what we have done. Not because of who we are. But because of the work of God. He is able to keep us from falling. He is able to cause us to stand. He is able to present us before himself without spot. Without blemish. And all of this... (coughs) is to result in praise and honor and glory to God through the exercise of Christ's authority. Verse 25. To only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Jehovah God is the only true and living God. To the only God. There is no other. There is no other God. There is no other deity. There is no other one before we stand. Uh, The great Shema of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O God. I mean, hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one. There is one Jehovah. There is one God. And this God is our Savior. Notice verse 25. It's only God our Savior. Now, we are probably most familiar with and comfortable with referring to the Lord Jesus as our Savior. And certainly the Lord Jesus is our Savior. But here, God is referred to as our Savior. For God is the initiator 
of our salvation. He has designed it. He has chosen us in Christ even before the foundation of the world. And there are seven references in the New Testament to God as Savior. And uh, I think they're worth listening to. So seven places in the New Testament God is referred to as our Savior. The first is Luke chapter 1 verse 47. The Magnificat, the glory that uh, Mary gives to God, hearing that she is going to give birth to the Savior. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior. And of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. First Timothy 2.3 This is a good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. First Timothy 4.10 For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Titus 1.3 But at the proper time manifested, even his word and the proclamation with which I entrusted according to the commandment of God, our Savior. Titus 2.10 not pilfering, but showing all good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Titus 3, 4. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, and now verse 25 of Jude, to only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus, our Lord, be glory. God as Savior is praised through the kingly work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice the phrase, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The commentators like to ask the question, does that phrase go with what precedes or with what follows? In other words, to the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus, our Lord, is it through the Lord Jesus Christ that God is revealed as Savior? Or is it that through the Lord Jesus Christ, now glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time, and evermore is going to be displayed and recognized? And I think the answer is yes. They're both true. They're both true. But what I want to emphasize this morning is the relationship in the book of Jude to denying the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. How inappropriate that is. How unacceptable that is. How foreign to the gospel that is. Because the gospel centers in on the Lord Jesus Christ who bears all authority. Notice, if you will, verse 25 of Jude, a recognition of who God is. To learn God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, to Jesus Christ, who is reflection of the glory of God. You see, Jesus Christ comes as mediator. And he's mediating the glory of God, which is his salvific nature. God, our Savior. How does he save us? Through Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, then, we get a glimpse of the glory of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace in truth, God's grace, God's truth is mediated to us, comes to us through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So first, 
Chronicles reads, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and in the earth, thine is the dominion, O Lord. Thou dost exalt thyself as head over all. That verse is really depicted for us in this doxology. For notice the description. First, what are we to ascribe to God? Answer, glory. To only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, be glory. Be glory. Now, let me give you one more side here. If you are uh, looking at a, a Bible that puts in italics words that aren't found in the original, you will see that the verb to be is in italics. The word be there. It's in italics. It's not in the original. Uh, it has to be supplied. And it's obvious that the, the uh, verb to be does need to be supplied. Uh, it has to be there. But what isn't so obvious is what tense the verb of to, to, be, to be is to be in. Now, I know I said this in a pretty uh, convoluted way, so let me say it more clearly. In other words, should the verse read as it does, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory. That is an exhortation for us to glorify him. Or should it be to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, is glory. Meaning that it is present. It's here. This is his glory. This is his majesty. This is his dominion. This is his power. Well, again, I think that practically speaking, both are true. He is the manifestation. And as a result, we are to glorify him. To him be that glory. We're to acknowledge it. And I think primarily in the book of Jude, that's the emphasis. The emphasis is that the false teachers reject the authority of the Lord Jesus. We are to see it. And as we see the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, it brings glory to God. Thus, we should readily not just acknowledge and receive the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. We should relish it. We should delight in it. We should be overjoyed that in the goodness of God, He reigns in our lives. Why? Well, notice the description. Through Jesus Christ our Lord be first glory, glory, the beauty of God's reign. It's a glorious reign. It's a wonderful reign. It is a right reign. It is a holy reign. It is a just reign. As you think of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we couldn't have a greater, more wonderful king. He is a great king. All found in this word, glorious. He is a glorious king. Secondly, he is a majestic king. Verse 25. Referring to his kingly status. When we think of the word majesty, we usually think of the outward adornings, the, the trappings. 
if you will. It's the incredibly beautiful golden crown. It's that scarlet robe that flows. It's that marvelous scepter. It's that incredibly impressive throne that the king sits upon. It's all the trappings of the kingship. And as we look at Christ's reign, and as we look at the reign of God, it is just glorious as we look out over creation and see what he has made and what he rules over. Isaiah saw a glimpse of the throne of God in Isaiah chapter 6. And the train, the robe, if you will, the train flowed from heaven and down into the temple. You know, the, one of the beautiful aspects of the wedding gown is the train. The long train. And if you see the royal weddings, these trains are incredibly long. They have a number of people carrying them at 30 feet long. God's train spans from the heavens all the way down and into his temple. It's majestic, his robes, his power, his dominion, which is the next word, dominion. The word dominion speaks to the extent of his kingdom. It is that which a king reigns over, his, his dominion. So that the king of Egypt would reign over Egypt. The king of Syria would reign over Syria. Well, his dominion, his dominion, God's dominion is over all heaven and over all earth, over all authorities. He's king of kings and lord of lords. His dominion is unsurpassed and it reaches all places. His authority Verse 25, majesty, dominion, authority. Authority refers to his intrinsic right to rule all things. Thus, the legitimacy of his reign. He has the right to reign. He is the creator. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And so, he has the right to rule all things. And the eternality of his reign, at the end of verse 25, before all time, now, and forevermore. His reigning is an everlasting reign. So, putting it in context, he's got a glorious reign. He's got a reign that's over everything that we can see. Everything that is imaginable and unimaginable. Everything which was visible and can't be seen. Over all heaven, over all earth, an authority that is right, it belongs to him. This king, with this kind of authority, has brought to us salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we reject that authority in our lives? How can we withhold from ourselves, withhold from God? The one who revealed his goodness to us in sending his son. How can we fail to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ? 
He is Lord. Before all time. And for all time. So how dare these false teachers reject his authority in their own life when he rules over everything? And the point of Jude is, they may say they reject his authority, but they're going to stand before him in judgment. And because they reject his authority, they're going to come to ruin. They're going to be destroyed. And they're going to be cast out. But we who have acknowledged his authority in our lives by repenting and asking forgiveness for our rebellion, for our disobedience, we who bow our knee before him, he's able to cause us not to fall, not to come to spiritual ruin, but to stand and to be blameless before his sight. The Great Commission centers upon the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, we have the risen Lord speaking to the disciples. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. That's where it starts. All authority has been given to me, to Jesus Christ, in heaven and in earth. There is nothing in heaven or on earth that doesn't come under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Make followers of me. Do this by baptizing them, that they identify with me. And now these words, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That they may recognize my authority. Teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded. To be obedient to all my commands. To acknowledge my authority. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. The gospel, the good news is that we can be forgiven for our disobedience and the rejection of the authority of God in our lives through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's power is displayed through Christ's power and authority over all things. Since Christ has given power and authority over all things, we are to repent of having rejected his power and authority in our lives. Whether that be knowledgeably or unknowledgeably. Whether that has been decisive when we've seen the authority of God and just simply said we won't do it. Or whether that has been more deceitful and we have just been self-absorbed and self-centered but have failed to recognize God's authority in our lives. Now, having been forgiven through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who bore the consequences of our sin and provided the submission and obedience that we lacked, we rejoice in the power of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, who saves us to the uttermost. We are thankful that Jesus Christ has saved us by his power.
Thus, in salvation, Christ's authority is not rejected. Rather, it is celebrated. We are grateful because that power has been manifested in such a way as to take away our sin. Causing us not to stumble, causing us to stand, causing us to be in his presence, blameless, and a cause for great rejoicing. So the exhortation, verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered for the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were being long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. You see, you can't deny the authority of Jesus Christ. It's over all things. It certainly extends to us. And the very nature of repentance is to acknowledge his right, the appropriateness of his dominion, of his power, of his reign. Well, how privileged we are to be in the kingdom of this glorious king who saves us, who keeps us, who delivers us. Let's pray.